Good morning to the remnant at Village West. It's always, it's always odd when we lose half of our church, right, to, to go camping. Um, I, I sort of felt that at home this morning as I'm getting up. I'm like, there are no kids here. And, um, you know, on one hand, you miss them. On the other hand, it was sort of nice to get, get here without having to get three kids ready. But you miss part of yourselves. And so this morning is one of those mornings where we're missing part of our church. But they are worshiping up in the mountains right now in the freezing, cold, awful weather. If they're watching, that's that's, you know... It's nice and warm here, um, but um, this is our chance to come together. Thank you for being here this morning. So how did the week go? I challenged you last week to be listening for the promptings of the Holy Spirit, or to be aware, how is the Holy Spirit leading? How is he directing? Is he directing with certain impulses or to talk to somebody or to reach out to somebody or to do something? Was that part of your mind this week? I hope so. Any stories? Everyone's like, oh no, we're not talking. <laughs> I, I had a couple people come up to me and talk about, yeah, it was way out of my comfort zone, but, but the Holy Spirit really was prompting me to go talk to so-and-so. And those conversations just became these life-giving, wonderful conversations of encouragement in, in, the, in the body of Christ. Um, I don't know, any, any, anyone want to share anything? I want us to be aware of how the Holy Spirit's working and that He is working. And one of the things, um, I'll share, <laughs> one of the things this week with some of the, the challenges this week, um, some of the things we talked about last week, just about the presence of the Holy Spirit and practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit and, and each moment reminding yourself that the Holy Spirit is with you and praying for strength to go through each thing. That was just very real for Susie and I this week. And um, in a very special way because we've been studying it. And, and to know that the Holy Spirit is God he is a real person, and He really indwells us, makes a huge difference. So be looking still for how is the Holy Spirit prompting you to work? Who is He, t- he asking you to talk to? And one of the, the nurses this week, I just watched Susie reach out and encourage and support and, and dig into her life, and I'm like, wow, this is just amazing to see. And that was the Holy Spirit prompting that conversation. And those are the conversations that I want us to be aware of and pursuing because that's when God works in some incredible ways in the life of our church. This morning, we are going to conclude our series on the Holy Spirit. And and really, we're going to jump back to a, a variety of things about who the Holy Spirit is and what He does because I want us to just sort of broaden our perspective as we end, as we wrap up, broaden our perspective of what the Holy Spirit does. One of my goals, my main goal of this series has been to get us to listen to the Holy Spirit and to act on the Holy Spirit's promptings more. My second goal was just to help us understand the truth of who the Holy Spirit is and not minimize Him in the Trinity and not view the Holy Spirit as just the the, the force of God, but view Him as part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity, a real person that is actively working in our world and in our lives. And so we, we talked about that, that when we think Holy Spirit, we should think the active agent of God's work. He is the, the member of the Trinity, the person of the Trinity that is actively working and executing God's work here on earth. And so today, as we talk a little bit about that work more, I want to talk, uh, spend most of our time talking about his work and probably the best thing that can ever happen to us. His work in the most incredible part of our lives, and that's in the work of salvation. 
And when we think salvation, we rightly think the cross, right? And the resurrection and that Jesus paid for our sins. But today I want to broaden our our perspective and show how the Holy Spirit is part of that. The Holy Spirit is actively at work in our salvation. And again, to broaden our understanding, but to encourage us. I, I hope by the end of today, we just are smiling and taking joy in who the Holy Spirit is and that he's indwelling us. And so when we come to salvation, when we talk about salvation, I want us to think in three different ways. And we've talked about this before, but think past, present, and future of salvation. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And when we we see salvation in Scripture, we see all three of those aspects in different verses. And I'll explain them as we go through our first three points this morning and see how the Holy Spirit is part of that. The first is we have been saved. Amen? I feel like we should get a little more excited about being saved, uh, about having eternity in heaven with Christ that we don't deserve. We have been saved. Amen. Amen. That is That is much better. So first point is we have been saved. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. He is the agent of regeneration. Turn to Titus 3.5, and again, we'll look at a variety of different texts this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a black one right under a seat around you. We welcome you to take that, follow along. Um, I'll put most of the verses on the screen today. Actually, Jeremiah will. And um, then also, if you have version, you can follow along in the event. That should be live, and you can follow along there. But Titus 3.5, we're going to start with, is as we talk about we have been saved, and this is talking about that moment where we choose to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And at that moment, when we repent of our sins and trust the work of Jesus on the cross, we are saved. And we are, we are transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God. And, and so this is the past sense of salvation. We have been saved. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. In Titus 3.5, it says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. And so, so here Paul says, no, it's not because of anything you've done. You're not good enough to save yourself, so don't even go down that road. And I'm not good enough to save myself. Because nothing you can do can wipe the stain of sin off your life. So he says, not by works done by us in righteousness, because we know our best works are like filthy rags. But according to his own mercy, that God in his mercy and his grace gave us salvation when we didn't deserve it. And the last phrase is where we bring in the the Holy Spirit, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is a verse I memorized when I was young and and a boy, and, and I could just quote it and say it, and I had no idea what some of those words meant. But I was glad I memorized it. But what does it mean, washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit? And and really this phrase, washing, is the primary word here, that the Holy Spirit is cleansing us, thoroughly cleansing us. He is washing us, and the two ways he does that is with regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so this phrase is, is definitely the work of Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, when we are saved. And the word for regeneration there, any, any Doctor Who fans here? Like two of you maybe? Okay, the doctor regenerates, right? And that's when his old life dies, his old body dies, and a whole new body, a whole new life comes, right? I'm talking to two people, I know that. <laughs> doctor who's an acquired taste. <laughs> um, but 
but that is the sense of what regeneration means. It means rebirth or new life. It means our old life completely dies and is gone. And our new, we are given a new life, a new person, a new being that is now washed and cleansed. It is clean. And so we see the Holy Spirit is the agent of regeneration in our lives, of complete change, of a new start. As, as, as Paul says elsewhere in Corinthians, we are a new creation. And so when we read this, that is extraordinary, that the Holy Spirit recreates us. He renews us. He regenerates us into something completely new when we are saved. And at that moment, that is why there is such a transformation at that moment, because now we are no longer under the power of sin. We are no longer people that are stained by sin, but we've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the one doing that. You know, I was was thinking of illustrations, and, and I know this one might fall apart somewhere, but just bear with me. When I think of, okay, how does this work with the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit? Because we know that Christ's work on the cross is what paid for our sins. He paid the price, the penalty for our sins, and his blood on the cross is what, what buys our forgiveness and why we can be cleansed. But then this says that the Holy Spirit is washing us, and we're going to look at some other words for that. The Holy Spirit is washing us and renewing us and regenerating us. The best thing on the washing that I can think of is soap and a washcloth. Now, before you walk out, think about this. Soap is sort of like the, the work of Jesus Christ. That is the ability to clean. That is what, what cleans us from our sins because he paid the price. The washcloth is sort of the agent of the soap, bringing the soap to action on the dirt, right? You know, we, we tell our kids, you have to use soap, and a washcloth is nice too, because if you don't do those things, you don't get clean, And so when I think of the washcloth, I think of the Holy Spirit then applying the work of Christ in our lives and scrubbing the work of Christ into the sin in our hearts and paying for that sin. It's silly, but you'll remember it. The Holy Spirit saves us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Renewal has the idea of internal change. So regeneration is a complete new birth, Renewal is a new spirit, a new thought life that goes on from that birth. And so the two work together, and and renewal is this idea that you're a different person now, so moving forward, your heart should be different, your mind should be different, your thoughts, we are made new from the inside out. And this, this verse is why we're saying made new this morning, because that is what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. He is making us new. This is at the point of salvation through faith. We respond to the promptings, the draw, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We believe, and then the Spirit regenerates us and renews us and washes us clean. In 1 Corinthians six eleven, a companion verse to this, Paul says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so we see that Jesus paid the price on the cross and the Spirit then applies that work to our lives by washing us or cleansing us, sanctifying us, setting us apart for God, helping us become Christ-like, justifying us, giving us the righteousness of Jesus where God accepts us as just because of the work of Christ on the cross. And so the Holy Spirit is part of saving us. 
regenerating, renewing us. You know, one of the things about, about his work in our lives of taking care of the sin, of cleansing us from our sins, is he now indwells us to remind us that we're cleansed of our sins. You know, one of the things that, that as, I, as I work with uh, people and as I minister and as I look in my own life, so many times our past can just really stifle us, can't it? Our past can paralyze us because we, we all have things in our past that we regret doing or that we, we wish that we didn't do. We know that we're wrong. And some of those we may view in our minds as bigger than others and we just can't let it go. Well, keep in mind, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit cleansed every single sin in your life. Not one was left untouched by the blood of Christ. And so who are we then to hold on to that and to hold on to that guilt and keep torturing ourselves in our minds or, or just in our, uh, the way we live life for what we've done in the past? Jesus paid for it and the Holy Spirit applied that to our lives. And that is the same Holy Spirit that indwells us now. In Hebrews 10, 15 through 17, uh, another verse that just goes with this. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, meaning the Holy Spirit is reminding ourselves and, and, and reminding us of this truth. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, and so, so this is the new covenant when we accept Christ. Then he adds in verse 17, I will remember their sin and their lawless deeds no more. And I would underline that verse, highlight that verse, whatever you feel comfortable doing in your Bible. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Why does it say the Holy Spirit has to keep reminding us of that? Because we keep taking it back. Either feeling guilty for it, letting it affect us, or re, reliving that sin, redoing that sin and not getting past it. And the Holy Spirit always says, stop it. I paid for that. It's done. It's clean. This is great news. Great news that should free us from the guilt because anything we, we give to God, there is no place for guilt anymore. Yes, we, re, we restore, we make things right, we reconcile, but there is no place for guilt anymore unless you think Jesus' work on the cross wasn't enough. Amen? Amen. It was enough. And we can leave that there. And I don't care if it's anything that, that we've done since we've been saved. The work of Jesus still forgives and still cleanses that. The Holy Spirit is still applying that to our lives. The Holy Spirit was part of saving us. Don't minimize that. That's the past sense of salvation. The, the, the current sense, the ongoing sense of salvation is we are being saved. We have been saved. We are being saved. And the Holy Spirit transforms us. And this is the idea that, that we all know this. None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. Paul even said, I haven't arrived yet. And so we're in process. Every one of us is in process of becoming more Christ-like. And that process is also described as Scripture as part of salvation, that we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's the saving work that is ongoing in our lives. And what's amazing is even in, in something as mind-boggling as, trans, as trying to become Christ-like, the Holy Spirit's there walking with us 
and doing the work and helping us. And so point number two, we are being saved. The Holy Spirit transforms us. He's the one indwelling us. He makes us holy. He transforms us. One of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And we see this picture, and we talked about this as we studied 2 Corinthians. We see this picture that we're being transformed, not all at once, but degree by degree by degree, as the sin is taken out of our lives, as the Holy Spirit works and, and, and gives, um, gives power in different areas of our lives. And so by degrees, we are becoming Christ-like. But it's not us doing it. It's, it's not on our own. We, co- we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, and He's the one doing the work. He's transforming us from what? From the darkness of sin to what? To being Christ-like saints. So he purifies and he refines us. And I love this picture because the goal is the picture of Christ, who he is and being Christ-like. And the Holy Spirit just each day helps us take a step toward that. But we have to be aware of his work. We have to be aware of what's going on, this ongoing sanctification in our lives of becoming Christ-like. And, and I think a couple of, of just theological things that help us is the Holy Spirit frees us from something. He frees us from the power of sin. But then He also empowers us to something. He grows us to something, to the fruit of the Spirit, to being Christ-like. And we have to remind ourselves, though, that He's freed us from the power of sin. In Romans 8, 1 and 2, where again it's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. From the law, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. See, in Romans, when he's talking about the law here and the law of the spirit of life and the law of sin and death, he's talking about some principle that, that is a controlling principle, like, like the law of gravity. The law of gravity is a thing, right? M- most of us are staying in our seats. Nobody's floating up in the air. It, it, it's, the law of gravity is a principle that controls our life, Right? And, and that is the sense that Paul is using law here. The law of the spirit of life says the Holy Spirit should be the principle that controls our life and the freedom that he gives and the power that he gives. He set you free in Christ Jesus from the law or the domain, the control, the power of sin and of death. That sin nature that we were born with, that we are enslaved to until we accept Christ. Until we put our faith in Him. Until then, sin is killing us. It's choking us. It's keeping us in slavery. We were dead in our sins, the Bible says. And that's a very fitting description of what it's like before Christ and before the work of the Holy Spirit. We're dead in our sins. It controls us. It enslaves us. And you can see this. You can see this in our world today with people that don't know Christ and their worldview and just their approach to everything is coming from some really dark places right now because they're enslaved to sin. And that enslavement to sin keeps them from even seeing truth. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will work in our world to bring people to a saving knowledge of Christ. 
But this verse says, no, no, that's what you were. You're no longer a slave to that, that sin. You're no longer under the law of sin. You're now under the law of the Holy Spirit. You're freed from the power of sin. You're, you're purified from the stain of sin. That's part of being free. But you're also free from having to sin. And you've heard me say this before. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us, we have everything we need to not sin. And you're like, well, then why do we sin? Right? It's because we ignore the Holy Spirit. We ignore the working of the Holy Spirit. We resist the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, we are still fighting sin throughout this life, but God has given us victory over sin, the tool for that, if we will live by the Spirit. Because He defeats the ongoing power of sin. He defeats its ability to capture capture us and to trap us. See, the freedom that we have is a, through the Holy Spirit is a freedom not to sin. So many times people say, well, I want freedom. I want the freedom to sin. I want the freedom to do it. That's true freedom where I can, I can go wherever I want and be with whoever I want, sleep with whoever I want, do whatever I want. That's freedom. The problem is, as long as those actions are in the realm of sin, they're still enslaving us. And it's a false freedom. It's like a, an inmate in a jail cell saying, I want the key to my jail cell, but he's still in the prison. Is that freedom? No, whereas the Holy Spirit gives us the freedom not to sin, to be out of the prison completely and to be in a, a fulfilling life with him. Oh, but we chase our old desires. They, they appeal so much to us sometimes. But the Holy Spirit says, no, I've paid for those sins. I've cleansed you from those sins. And I empower you to have victory over those. And so part of the, the ongoing work of the Spirit to transform us is free us from something, the power of sin, but it also grow us to something, the fruit of the Spirit. And we spent a lot of time in this passage last week, and, and I'll just read it again to remind ourselves but, but this is exactly what he's talking about. But I say in, in Galatians five sixteen through 23, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He frees us to walk by the Spirit and to not have to gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Then jumping to verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. That's all the stuff that we're saved from. That's all what, what, what he has given us victory over. And then we get the next verses, which is what he grows us to. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so we see that as he's transforming us, as the Spirit is, is working on our salvation in our lives, he's growing us to something. And he's growing the fruit of the Spirit in us. Not that we sit, like, like we said last week, not that we sit and do nothing and say, ah, oh, fruit come. But no, he is, as we cooperate with the Spirit, he is transforming us into Christ's likeness. Praise God. Praise God we're not just stagnant people. 
that we don't just stay where we're at spiritually, but that the Holy Spirit is bringing us somewhere. You know, some other ways that he grows us is the Holy Spirit empowers us to godly living and service. He is he's the source of power that enables us to walk with God. We can try it all, all we want on our own, and that's where just empty religion comes from, a bunch of rituals and a bunch of routines, and that's our own effort. But the, the Holy Spirit says, no, live in me. Let me empower you to live a life pleasing to God. And in Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. We see in, in, in 1 Corinthians twelve seven that he empowers us with spiritual gifts. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so when we think he grows us to something, think he empowers us to do something. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us, he is the one that gives us the source of energy for these things. Those days when we're like, I don't even know if I can, if I can handle today. Those days where we can't even think about walking with God because so many pressures are coming in. The Holy Spirit says, no, let, let me take over. I can empower you to do this. You know, the, like we said with the promptings of the Holy Spirit, those conversations were like, I don't want to have that conversation. The Holy Spirit gives the strength for that. A lamp is only good if it's plugged in, right? Assuming it's not a rechargeable battery. I know all that. A lamp is only as good as it's plugged in. And and if we want to be a light for Christ, if we want to be a lamp for Christ, we've got to be plugged into the source through the Holy Spirit. And if we aren't consciously seeing that he is saving us now and transforming us and giving us the strength to do that, we're a lamp that can't even turn on. Sort of sad in a dark room. But the Holy Spirit gives power. He gives strength. There really is no excuse for weakling Christians. Because the Holy Spirit isn't weak. And we need to remember to tap in to understand His work in our lives. One other way that he, he helps us with our salvation, He's transforming us, which is just has been a, a, a great verse in the last few weeks for me to study Romans 8 26 and 27 Romans 8 26 and 27 the Holy Spirit prays for us he intercedes for us and this is this is an amazing thought that he prays for us to God the Father and and that is in in the economy or the working of the Trinity, that's that's hard to understand, but the Bible says he does it, so we're going to go with it. In Romans eight twenty six and twenty seven, we read, "Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness." Amen. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do you ever find yourself in a place where you don't know how to pray? And I'm not saying you don't know what words to say or or whether to fold your hands or not. but, But no, you just don't know what to pray for. You're like, okay, in this situation, what do we pray for? 
And as we, as we prayed for Margie this week, and the Lord took Margie home to be with him this week, and our prayers are with the family. But, but as we, we pray with Margie and we see the suffering that she's in, do we know how to pray? Do we know whether to pray that God would heal her or take her home or, that's frustrating sometimes. In, in situations in your life, do we always know how to pray? No, because we don't know the will of God. We don't know it perfectly. It's hard to, to, to know that. What this is saying is the Holy Spirit does know how to pray. And he takes our heart and he takes our words as we attempt to pray, as we attempt to vocalize that, as we attempt to think that through. He then intercedes for us and translates it according to the will of God. And, and this I find so comforting because I can pray with boldness, with, with understanding the best of my ability what God wants, but I know that the Holy Spirit is interpreting and, and saying what needs to be said. If I'm coming to God with a pure heart and with a heart of prayer, I know that the Holy Spirit is interceding. I, I find great comfort in that. You know, I hear stories of missionaries when persecution is cracking down on, on a country and they said, I don't know whether to pray for safety for my family. I don't know whether to pray to get out of the country. I don't know whether to pray that God will keep us here and give us strength when we're thrown in prison. And, and what I see here is, man, we lift all those concerns up to God and trust that the Holy Spirit will interpret that correctly to God. Because He will. And that's one of the ways that he then is helping us walk this Christian life, handle these weaknesses. It says we're weak. We don't always know. But we have a helper. The Holy Spirit is filling the gap. He's taking up the slack with groanings too deep for words. And, and there's some attempts to say, well, that's not the Holy Spirit. Why would he have that kind of emotion? No, that is the Holy Spirit, and that's descriptive of the Holy Spirit because He, indwelling us, cares so much about us that His prayers to God the Father for us are filled with emotion and filled with groanings that are beyond words. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that cool that the Holy Spirit would care so much for us that He is praying with, with fervency and with emotion and with groanings to God the Father for us? This is one of those truths that I rest in and just expands my, my knowledge of the Holy Spirit in a way that is so encouraging and so comforting. You know, we see examples all over the place. We saw examples with Paul as he prayed for his thorn to be removed from him. And three times he urgently pleaded with God. But we know that the Holy Spirit was interpreting that and 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 knowing God's will and praying for God's will. And ultimately, that wasn't God's will to heal him. And God used not healing him for his glory. And ultimately, we know that was better. And the Holy Spirit was interpreting that and understanding that. You know, we said that the Holy Spirit is part of saving us in the past. The Holy Spirit then transforms us as part of our ongoing salvation. And and part of that Village, we should expect that if the Holy Spirit is, is growing us, if the Holy Spirit is transforming us, if we are being saved right now, we need to expect that our lives look different, right? Our lives, if the Holy Spirit is alive in, our, in us, if He's changing us, then our life, our new life should look radically different 
with him than our old life did without him. Make sense? And my challenge to us this morning is if our new life with him doesn't look much different from our old life without him, we need to ask a couple of really soul-searching questions like, have I given my heart to God? Have I repented and followed God in faith to see the Holy Spirit come into my life? Because he only indwells us when we believe in him and give our lives to him. And if we are sure of our salvation, we know we've done that and there's still no difference, then we need to start asking, why am I not seeing a difference? Why, how am I keeping the Holy Spirit from working in my life? How am I not walking by the Spirit? You know, this just makes sense. If I came here and said, you know, this week I was hit by a beam of light and now I have the ability to fly. What would your next question be? Or next thought? <laughs> was I on drugs? That might be there. If I'm telling the truth, what would you want me to do? Fly, right? I, I know it's, it's, a, it's a silly example again, but if I can't do it, if the actions don't match the words, then, the action, then it may not have happened. If we say we're believers, if we say we're led by the Spirit, we're following the Spirit, oh, village, let's look different. We have a hope in us that the world doesn't have. We have a helper that is helping us make decisions that are pleasing to God. We can step out in faith and do radical things for Christ that seem crazy to the world. We need to look different. We should expect to look different. So we have been saved. We are being saved. And then the the third work of the Holy Spirit in salvation, we will be saved. We will be saved. And this is the Holy Spirit assures us. The Holy Spirit assures us. So we know that the Holy Spirit regenerates us in point number one. Number two, he transforms us. But now he assures us by guaranteeing our salvation with his seal. And so we know that when we follow Christ, we know that we have salvation. And nothing, nothing can take that away. And that is an assurance that the Holy Spirit gives, that the Holy Spirit is always telling us as he indwells us. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, we'll put that on the screen or you can turn there. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So you get a sequence there, right? When you heard the word of truth, the truth of the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, what Jesus did on the cross for you, and you believed in him, you repented, and in this belief is a belief of giving your life to him, then you were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Now, now the word for, for the seal is a really interesting word that they would understand maybe even more than we do. I mean, when we think of an envelope, you seal the back of the envelope, Right? And if it's sealed, that means someone hasn't gotten in there. There's a, t- a security. They would do something similar with the scrolls. They would roll up a scroll or, or they would fold up a piece of paper and you would take wax from a candle and you would put wax across the seam and then you'd stamp it with some seal that, that signified you were the one that sealed this. And then you'd know when it got there that this hadn't been opened. And, and so the seal, was it verified what was inside as from that author but it also was a type of security and validity that nothing had been lost, it hadn't been opened. 
And so when we hear are said, we are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Nothing else can take it away except we receive eternal life until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so the Holy Spirit becomes that stamp, that seal, that assures the validity that we will be saved. That this life is not all there is. This is not our best life now, praise God. But our best life is coming. And we can be sure of that and we can take hope in that and confidence in that. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart right now. He's giving you that assurance. And that should give us an ability to have hope in this life that no one else has. And so with, with situations like Margie and with situations like, like Amy Powell's parents, we grieve and it's hard and it's sorrowful. But village, I know where they are. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are in eternity with Jesus Christ at this very moment. Because the Holy Spirit is the seal that guarantees that. And so in the middle of, of sorrow and grief, we have hope and confidence in our Lord. 2 Corinthians one twenty two says much the same thing. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. How do we know we're saved? Because the Holy Spirit guarantees it. And there is no one more powerful than the Holy Spirit to take it away. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to remind us of that every day. When we doubt our salvation, when we doubt the work of Jesus on the cross, when, we, when, when that goes out of mind, the Holy Spirit is there to remind us this is real. And this is a surety. That assurance is so key. I, I, I can remember when, when we adopted two of our kids and... Um, in, in the courtroom as, the, as we're going through the proceedings, one of the things they kept stressing is that adoption is different from fostering because fostering is temporary and, and, and you may be reunited with a the family. There's no guarantees, but adoption is a guarantee that this is their forever family for the rest of their lives. And, and they even changed the birth certificates to reflect that. It's, it's awesome. That is the assurance that the Holy Spirit gives. And I've got to tell you, to kids, that makes all the difference in the world. It makes a huge difference because now they know that somebody has chosen to love them and will never leave them and will be with them the rest of their lives. And we saw a change in our kids from that day on, and it was beautiful. That village is what the Holy Spirit does for us when we're saved because we are adopted. Every one of us that has believed in Jesus Christ, we are adopted And Jesus isn't just sort of spending time with us until he doesn't like us anymore. We are adopted permanently into the family and we can never be unadopted. And that should make us say amen. That is such an assurance that changes how we live. In Romans 8, 16, and and the whole passage is beautiful about fear and combating fear and not being a slave to fear. But in verse 16 The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit because he indwells us. He's constantly telling us, speaking truth to us, that we are children of God. Not just slaves of God or not just playtoys of God. We are children of God. 
adopted to never change. In Romans 8, 11, we also see another confidence, another assurance here, an assurance of resurrected life beyond death. This is the idea of, uh, you know, is this all there is? No, we have such hope for more. And in Romans 8, 11, we read, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, so since the Holy Spirit dwells in you, if and he does, since the Holy Spirit dwells in you and, and he raised Jesus from the dead, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so there's a confidence that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus. We know he has the power to. We know he's done it and he's promised to do it in us and he indwells us. Village, that helps us face life on this Genesis 3 world so much differently because this isn't all there is and we are guaranteed resurrected bodies in eternity with Jesus Christ if we believe in him. Nothing changes that. Rest in that this week. Enjoy that this morning. Take encouragement from that this morning. The Holy Spirit is at work in salvation. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. And he is the guarantee of that. A couple of other points just to sort of wrap up a couple of thoughts with the Holy Spirit. If you go to the next section of your notes... I want to think through the work of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture and just take a few minutes um, to, fill in, to fill in some ideas here. The, the first is one we've talked about earlier this year, we've talked about earlier in this series. The Holy Spirit is the agent of inspiration of Scripture. So we've talked that Scripture is God-breathed, that it's the very words of God. Well, the Holy Spirit was the agent of that. The Holy Spirit was how God carried that out. In 2 Peter 1.21 for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And it's a beautiful description of how Scripture is God-breathed. And it's the Holy Spirit coming on men and, and, and giving them the words for Scripture. And so I'll leave that there because you can go back and listen to our sermons on, on the inspiration of Scripture and, and God breathed. But the Holy Spirit is the agent. He's part of that. And so, so really when we think of how is the Holy Spirit present in Scripture, the first thing is he was the agent that all of it was written by. Okay, so that, that's pretty all-inclusive. But then we want to think, okay, so one of the questions I often get is where was the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? How did that work? And point number two there is the Holy Spirit was active and working throughout the Old Testament from the beginning, throughout the whole Old Testament until now, but he did not permanently indwell God's followers. That's the difference. That's what, at Pentecost, that's where things changed, where the Holy Spirit now indwells believers, indwells the church. In the Old Testament, it wasn't a permanent indwelling, but a coming upon for a certain task or a certain need. But a a couple of thoughts here. The Holy Spirit was present and working at creation from the very beginning. Genesis 1-2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so we see the whole trinity in creation. We know from Colossians that that Jesus is the author of creation, and, and we know that God the Father was present. The Holy Spirit was there as the agent of creation. And so we can't ask, where was the Holy Spirit? I don't see him much just because he he wasn't indwelling. He was part of every part of the Old Testament. 
He was the agent by which God was working. You know, I mentioned, yes, he didn't indwell God's followers there permanently, but what we would call a selective indwelling as needed for God's purposes. And so, so some of the, and this can get confusing because we have never experienced this reality in life, right? For, for our age, when you accept Christ and, and believe in Jesus Christ, give your life to him, the Holy Spirit indwells you and never leaves. But before the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, before the day of Pentecost, it was different. But the Holy Spirit would still come and would still indwell and work as was needed for different situations. Let me just read a few verses to give a flavor. Judges 6.34, But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abiezites were called out and followed him. And so we see the Holy Spirit coming on Gideon for this task. In 1 Samuel 11.6, And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. And, and so we see that the Spirit of God was working there and came on at that particular time to direct in a specific way. In Exodus 31.3, and it's talking about God equipping people. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. It's talking about uh, building God's house and, and, and building the tabernacle in this case. And... Um, that the Holy Spirit came on and indwelt for that time, for that purpose. You know, we've already seen that the Holy Spirit was active in the writing of Scripture. All prophecy came by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was carrying out the purposes of God throughout the whole Old Testament. And so don't think that, that he was absent and, and don't get this false idea that he wasn't working and, and, and somehow there wasn't the Trinity until Pentecost. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have have been in communion and in unity from before time. And so we can rest in that. In the Old Testament, there, there also was an expectation that the Spirit would be coming, that the Spirit would be poured out on the land. There was hope for the day of Pentecost and an excitement looking forward to that. But where I want to end as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament and we go to the life of Christ, I want, to, I want to end with this thought. Jesus Christ was the perfect example of what it meant to live by the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ was the perfect example of what it meant to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, what it meant to be led by the Holy Spirit, what it meant to submit to the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is fully God. He didn't have to live a life that was perfectly in tune with the Holy Spirit because he knew what God wanted and and he was fully God. But he chose to be an example for us. The Holy Spirit came on him at baptism, empowered him through his life, empowered his ministry. And as such, we can look at the Gospels and we can look at the life of Christ And we can see an example of how this works. We can see an example of how many times Jesus went and prayed and got away. How many times it says the Holy Spirit ministered to him. The Holy Spirit gave him strength. He was doing that for you and I. So we could see what it means to live by the Spirit, to trust the Spirit. Jesus even went to the cross empowered by the Holy Spirit to show us that we can do even the most difficult things that God asks us to do 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. I listed eight ways, and there's more, but eight ways that the Holy Spirit was with Jesus throughout his life. He was the agent of the virgin birth, and we, we, we sang about that this morning. He was there at the baptism of Jesus. He led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, Luke 4 says. Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He cast out demons by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit assisted in the atoning death of Christ. Like I said, Jesus went to the cross empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was the means that made that possible and helped him through it. The Holy Spirit in Romans 8, 11 was part of the work of the resurrection. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus in all eternity. And so we see all these ways, some of the ways here that Jesus was at work in the the life of Christ. Could Jesus have worked miracles on his own? Yeah. But as a perfect man, he chose not to and chose to rely on the Spirit as an example to us. Don't miss the example of Jesus in this. As you study him, as we follow him, as we mimic our lives to his life, we are mimicking spirit-led lives. In the last five weeks, we've talked about a lot of big things about the Holy Spirit. A lot of truth, a lot of doctrine. We've talked about how to be led by the Holy Spirit, how to walk in the Holy Spirit. None of it's worth anything unless you try it. Unless you try it. Unless this week you say, Holy Spirit, lead me. Give me strength. Direct me where to go. All the things we talked about last week. Unless you act on those impulses and you act on the thoughts that the Holy Spirit put in your head. Unless you do that, all this is just head knowledge. My prayer for us as a church is that as the Holy Spirit indwells each member of his church, the Holy Spirit works through his church. And God wants to use village to reach this neighborhood, this city, and this area for him. And he wants to use us to make disciples. But it's going to take us being willing to let him use us in ways that we're not comfortable with, that we're not used to, and to live radically different lives from this world. But it's worth it. It's worth it to see what God does. So let's get excited about seeing what God does and be sensitive to the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would do a work through village, that you would do a work through every person in this room. Lord, that you would reach people for you, that you would empower us to share your word with people, to share the gospel with people. Help us to get over our own fear that stops us from listening to the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would transform us into people that are so different from this world that it doesn't make sense to them and they want to know why. Lord, I pray that we would be bold for you, that we would take comfort in you, that we would know you're indwelling. Lord, and wherever you lead village in the next year, help us to be sensitive to that. If that means new, new areas, Lord, help us to be looking for that. If, if that means renewing... Um, our our emphasis on things we're already doing. Help us to know that. But Lord, use our church whatever it takes. However hard it is, use our church for your glory. We exist to be on mission for you and to give glory to you. Thank you, God. 
Thank you for the gift of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.